All right. Hey, we want to welcome all of, um, all of our guests with us today. We want to welcome also uh, those who are watching online. We're glad that you've, uh, you've decided to tune in to us today. Uh, we're beginning a brand new message series we're going to talk about in, in just a moment. Uh, and it has already been a wonderful, wonderful morning. Uh, John, I appreciate very much the scripture reading. Wasn't that great? That was fantastic. And uh, the singing has been marvelous. And uh, so we're just glad that you're with us. Uh, Rebecca Pippert wrote a book a few years ago, actually two years ago, called Staying Salt. You may recall she wrote a book a number of years ago, years ago on evangelism called Out of the Salt Shaker. But in this book, she tells a story that uh, the, the famous um, psychiatrist Robert Coles uh, tells. She relates this story about how Coles um, was, was speaking at Harvard and he was talking about how he had been uh, with this man for 15 years doing psychotherapy for him. And he said, after 15 years of psychotherapy, after all that time, this man was still as angry and as mean and as self-focused as he had always been. And he said, the only thing that changed was now he knew why, after all these years of therapy, now he knew why he was angry and mean and self-focused. And he made this point, he said, maybe what this person needed wasn't more information, but he needed transformation. And then he asked this question, which is so important. He asked, is transformation possible for human beings? Now, that's a question that every preacher I know wrestles with from time to time, and especially on Monday mornings. Um, preachers on Monday mornings, that's the one day when probably if they're going to be discouraged, they feel discouragement on that day. Because they've had their Sunday and they've interacted with people. And by Monday morning, if they're going to get some criticism or critique or whatever, they're going to hear that with some emails or whatever on Monday morning. That's the day when you can be maybe more discouraged than any other day. And you might wonder on that day, is transformation possible for human, human beings? But here's the truth. Because I believe the gospel, I would say resoundingly, yes, it's possible. And I believe it's possible because I've heard the stories, as you have. I've heard stories about men and women who were changed because of Jesus. But what I want to do in this message series over the next few weeks is I want us to look at how can that occur. Because you see, the truth is, I want to experience more transformation in my life. I want us as a church to experience transformation. I want us to be more passionate than ever about worship. I want us to be more concerned than ever about the marginalized and about the poor. I want us to be more deeply interested in Scripture and reading Scripture. Ultimately, I want us to be more passionate about the glory of God. And the question is, how does this occur? And so as we begin this message series on transformation, I want us to sort of lay the foundation for it. I want to give you some, um, some principles that at the very beginning that I think will undergird this entire message series. So for instance, I believe transformation is a process. 
Oh, I would love for transformation to occur in a moment. I wish that transformation occurred because of a sermon that I or Wilson would preach. Or I wish transformation would occur because you attended one class or because you read one book or had one conversation. But all of us probably know that transformation is a little more complex than that. It is, it's a process. And while there are many things involved in transformation, it requires just a little bit of time. But also transformation involves the renewal of our minds. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture. We'll drill down in this more deeply next Sunday morning, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where Paul says there, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? Transformation occurs by the renewing of our minds. And when our, our minds begin to change, it works itself out in how we live, in how we function, how we relate to others. Transformation really is an inside-out reality. But transformation is something else also. Transformation also is a work of the Holy Spirit. Now certainly there's an element of mystery with regard to the working of the Spirit. And we'll, we'll find that out as we read John 3 and as, as Johnny preaches in a few weeks and he'll look at Romans 8 and some other passages. But understand, if we're going to experience transformation, it's going to happen because of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and our advocate and our guide. The Holy Spirit plays an important part in the transformation process. But also transformation it involves important spiritual practices. Um, there are a lot of things we emphasize, things like prayer and reading the Word, a fasting, and on and on it goes. It, is, it, it is, uh, involves important spiritual practices. I mentioned to you, I think, probably um, a while back that about three years ago, I just felt like I needed to be spending time in the Gospels. And so every day I would read through Matthew, and then when I got done with Matthew, I moved to Mark and read Mark and Luke and John. And for an entire year, I just read through the Gospels. That was a spiritual practice. And I did that very intentionally because I wanted to immerse my life and my mind in, in Jesus' life. And so I would, I would open up that chapter for the day and I would begin with prayer. And I would just say, God, would you, would you open my mind to what I need to see in this passage? And it's amazing what I began to see as I began underlining and thinking and meditating, and, and that's part of what it means to experience transformation. It involves spiritual practices. If we think that we can show up for Sunday morning two or three times a month and hear a sermon and that's it, or maybe even attend a Bible class and that's it, friends, we're not going to experience transformation in our life. But transformation involves something else as well. It involves the community. Transformation occurs in the context of a community. Over the last two Sundays, we've been talking about the importance of the church and how the church is so necessary. And while certainly understand that growing spiritually requires some individual practices, we don't grow alone. We need brothers and sisters. I like what one writer said. He said, we can no more be conformed to the image of Christ outside corporate spirituality than a coal can continue to burn outside a fire. And so we need contexts like a life group or Sunday morning assembly or Bible class. We, we need one another as we think about how we can grow. And I would also say the transformation is for the sake of others. 
You see, if we're not careful, we can think that it's all about me and that my personal happiness is what it's all about. And yet there's certainly this sense in which transformation is an end in and of itself in that when I am transformed, that is for the glory of God. Yet also understand, I experience change in my life so that I can make a difference in other people's lives. We need moms and dads who are different and they're able to mediate the presence of Jesus in the lives of their, their children. We need people who are different. As we experience transformation, we begin to understand it's for the sake of others. And then the final thing, it begins with Jesus. Now, this is a very obvious point. And this is where we'll begin today. And this brings us to that beautiful scripture reading that, that John read that was just so wonderful out of the book of Colossians. And if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, because we're going to spend some time in this, in this little section of scripture as we think about how, how we can experience transformation, and it begins with Jesus. Now, I was struck with one phrase that was repeated over and over again in Colossians chapter to beginning in verse 6, and it's the phrase, in Christ. And so as Paul begins this paragraph, he says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you received this teaching, notice he says, I want you to continue to live your lives where? In Him. And then he piles up word after word to describe these blessings we have in Jesus. He talks about how we need to be rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And then a byproduct of being rooted in Jesus, built up in him, is the fact that we're going to be overflowing with thankfulness. See, I think of all people, Christians ought to be the most thankful people of all. Now here's the question that really I'm, I'm going to wrestle with for a little bit this morning and that I want you to think about. And it's this very simple and basic question is, are you in Christ? You see, before we talk about transformation, I want you to gain a deeper appreciation for all the blessings we have in Christ. Because here's the truth of the matter. I'm speaking to some people right now who've never taken that initial step of faith. I'm talking to some men and women right now for whatever reason, have never publicly said, yes, I'm confessing my faith in Jesus. I'm going to be baptized in His name. And I want to do everything I can in this message that if you've never taken that step of faith, and I realize there's some people watching right now online, and if you've never taken that step of faith, I want to do everything I can to encourage you as we look at these beautiful blessings that are found in Christ. And so here's Paul as he talks about how that you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, live in Him, be rooted and built up in Him. You're going to be overflowing with thankfulness. And then he contrasts this in verses uh, nine, uh, uh, verse 8 and following, where he says, but see to it that no one takes you, as he says, captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Here's the truth. Every one of us in this room, we're going to follow someone or something. We're all going to be led by someone or something. Are we led by hollow, false, deceptive teaching? Or are we following Jesus? 
Last week on vacation, we had an opportunity while in Boston to spend some time on the campus of Harvard University. I told Jana, while we're up here, I just want to see Harvard. I want to walk on the campus. And we walked on campus, and I wasn't there long before I felt a lot smarter. <laughs> and we looked around and, and saw these ancient buildings and uh, it's a, a massive, sprawling campus. And... Um, there are some men and women who are deeply devoted to Jesus on that campus. But they're the minority. And as I walked around and looked at these men and women, these young people and, and professors, I thought to myself, how many people have been taken captive by such hollow philosophies that Paul talks about? Hollow and deceptive philosophies. But in contrast to that, notice what, notice what Paul says in verse 9. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He has a very high view of Jesus. All the fullness of God lives in Jesus in bodily form. And then in verse 10, it's an astounding statement. Notice what he says. And in Christ, there's our phrase again. It's repeated over and over in this text. In Christ, you who have been brought, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Do you want to have a full and rich and complete life? It's not found with some hollow philosophy or teaching, some kind of worldly perspective. No, it's found by being in Christ. And so, for the rest of this sermon, I want to look at two or three things that grow out of this particular text that are amazing blessings by being in Christ. And as you think about your decision at some point, some of you are thinking right now about taking that step of faith. You haven't taken the step of faith. Or maybe some of you have taken that step of faith and you need to be reminded of these beautiful things that we, we have because of our relationship with Jesus. And so, in verse 10 and 11, verse 11 especially, where he says, in Him... Your whole self, and we'll put that on the scripture, yeah, in, on the board. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, we, we read this passage of scripture and our minds go, what, what, what's he talking about here? What's this issue of circumcision that, that Paul is bringing up? To a Jewish person circumcision was the sign that they belong to the community they're now a part of the covenant community they're now accepted they they are a part of this group you see the the cutting away of the foreskin of the male child on the eighth day said you are one of us one writer said as they described circumcision it's a little operation that had a major significance and to us we might think it doesn't sound so little to me but notice who now is performing the operation it's Jesus who does the circumcising and Paul links this Jewish idea in verse 12 with with baptism 
And so now this circumcision for Jesus is not just for males. Now this is for everyone. Everyone's involved in the community, men and women. And the emphasis here is not on what we do in our baptism, but as we read this scripture, particularly verse 12, notice what it says. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, the emphasis here is not so much on us, but what is our baptism? It's when we place our faith in in who? In God, in the working of God who raises him from the dead. Recently at a family encampment, not quite yet, we'll get there in just one second. Recently at family encampment, uh, Nathan Schofield was baptized. And it was a beautiful, beautiful uh, day. Uh, I loved what Nathan's dad, Tim, had said. Tim said some beautiful words. And finally, uh, Nathan was, was baptized, and he came up out of the water. And as he did, now, now put the raise up there, the youth group just surrounded him. I thought this was a very beautiful moment. Uh, nobody clued in the youth group. They just kind of spontaneously all got around Nathan. They put their arms around him. What were they saying to him? They were saying, you are a part of our community. You're a part of us. You're one of us. And that's what God says to us when we experience baptism. It's like like now God is saying, you're a part of my community. You're one of my sons and daughters. You're a part of the church. Now you're accepted. And so maybe you're saying today, well, you know what, I, I've been coming to church for a long time, and I, I've, I've never really you know, done the baptism thing and all that, but, I, but, I, but I've come to church. But There's no better day than today than to take that step of faith and to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, to put your, your faith in, in God. Maybe some of you might say, well, you know, I, I, um, my, my parents, are they're, they're a part of the church, but not, not me. Well, there's no better time than, than today. You can be accepted today, right now. In Christ, we're accepted, but notice there's something else in this passage. It's really beautiful. In in Christ, we find out that we're also forgiven. Now, in verse 13, Paul tells us what the problem is before we're baptized. The problem is that we were once dead in our sins. And yet the beautiful thing is because of Jesus and what the Lord did, what Jesus did on the cross, he forgives us our sins. And so in verse 14, Paul puts it this way, that Jesus canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You may remember that when Jesus was on the cross, Right above his head was this, this panel, and, and it's called the titulus. What is the titulus? It's, it's the accusation. When someone was crucified, there would be an accusation written that would be put above the head of the person who was dying on a cross. So everyone would walk by and would know why this person was on the cross. Do you remember what was above Jesus' head? It's the phrase... Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. 
Everybody would see that that's what Jesus said. That Jesus had the audacity to claim that He was the King. And Jesus was a, a troublemaker. And He was creating division. He was stirring things up. And finally, this Jesus is going to die. Now here's the amazing thing. That when Jesus died, God, not Jesus, or not Pilate, or not some other official, took the written code. He, he took all that stood against us. He took all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, all the things that, that maybe we know and no one else knows, the, those things that, that create shame within us, those things that maybe we have a hard time forgiving ourselves for. He took all of it, and He wrote it on a document. And he nailed it to Jesus' cross. And Jesus took it away. Jesus was nailed to the cross. So I could stop nailing myself to the cross. In Christ, we're forgiven. Just look at the words in that verse we just read a moment ago. It talks about how that we're, we're no longer in debt it describes how, how now the charges are canceled. And so let me ask you a question. How long do you remember a bill? How long do you remember a debt once it's been paid? i got to tell you, I don't remember it. Once it's been forgiven, I forget it. And here's the point. Once God has forgiven it, I can forget it. And that's such good news. The good news is in Christ, not only am I accepted, but in Christ, I can also be forgiven. I can be free and I can walk in that sense of freedom. No longer do I have this sin list above my head. No longer do I have these outstanding spiritual debts that I have because Jesus himself paid for those. But there's one other thing in Christ. And we see that in Colossians 2 as well. In Christ, I'm also victorious. They threw everything they had at Jesus. Everybody came together. The religious authorities, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the scribes, they all came together and they conspired with the, with the political authorities, with Herod and all the rest. They all came together. And they conspired against Jesus and they stripped Jesus naked and they held Him up to public shame and contempt and they spat on him and they beat him and they mocked him and they led him away and they nailed him up on a cross and Jesus was up there for several hours and finally Jesus breathed his last and the authorities sighed and said finally it's over and they took his body down and they put it in a tomb and they rolled a several ton stone in front of that tomb and they thought it is finished it's complete we won't have to worry about him any longer he won't he won't disturb us anymore this one who dares to claim that he's somehow king until early sunday morning when jesus walks out of the tomb and when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the word that could, could describe that moment is victory. 
Jesus walked out victoriously. It looked like defeat on Friday, but on Sunday, it was victory. And this is what Paul is getting at when he says in this next verse, Colossians chapter 2, the very last verse. Notice what Paul says. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, notice Paul disarmed, or rather God disarmed the powers and the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them. Oh, it looked like Jesus was made a public spectacle, but no, God really made a public spectacle of them. Notice, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross suggests triumph. Because we're in Jesus, we can walk in victory, not in defeat. During World War II, there was a general by the name of Jonathan Wainwright. He was captured by the Japanese, and he was, he was the highest-ranking official during World War, World War II to be in a POW camp. And he was, even though he was a general, he was treated horribly by the Japanese in this POW camp. He was crushed and beaten. And finally, we won the war. The Japanese surrendered. War came to an end. And a United States colonel was sent to the camp where General Wainwright was to announce personally to the general that Japan had been defeated and that he was now free, this general was. And he was now in command. And after General Wainwright heard the news, he returned to his quarters and he was confronted by the very same guards who began to, and they began to mistreat him just like before, just like they'd done in the past. But Wainwright, with the news of the Allied victory still fresh in his mind, declared with all authority, no, I am in command here. These are my orders. Now, here's the truth from that story. We need to stop taking orders from a defeated enemy. A lot of times, we, we take these orders from, from the defeated enemy. We don't realize we've experienced victory. We don't have to walk in defeat. We don't have to listen to a defeated enemy. We now can walk in victory because of what Jesus has done on the cross. In Jesus, we're accepted. We're forgiven. And we're victorious. And I don't know how you want to live your life, but I want to live my life like this. I want to know I don't have to worry about the stuff I've done in the past. And believe you me, I've done stuff in the past. That's been forgiven. The debt's been paid. I don't want to walk in defeat. I don't have to be defeated because understand, Christ has won the victory on the cross. I, I want to, I'm, not, I'm going to stop taking orders from a defeated enemy. And I'm going to listen to King Jesus. So my question for you today is we ask it at the very beginning of this message. Are you in Christ? Have you taken that step of faith? Today, if you'll take that step of faith, you can experience acceptance. You'll be accepted by this church and by God himself. 
You can have complete forgiveness. And friend, you can walk in victory. And you can begin to experience transformation. Before we begin thinking about this process of transformation, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks, brothers and sisters, we need to start with this this knowledge that Jesus Christ himself will transform us. I don't know of any better day than today to take that step of faith. Today, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.